Hi. Hi. Hello. How is everyone? Good. Had a long weekend here. Medium. (laughs) I feel like we're talking about steak now. I'll be rare. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, uh, Nadine, your long weekend. Say more. Oh, in Canada today is a, it's Victoria Day. So it's just a a holiday. holiday. No school, no work. What do you do for Victoria Day? Nothing. Well, it's, it's, yeah, it's nothing. It's just a bank holiday. It's supposed to be in, in memory of Queen Victoria. Okay. From Victorian era. Uh, I'm not a very good Canadian at this point. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I just know that everyone's home and it's a lazy day. I mean, that's a great way to celebrate Queen Victoria. I feel like should uh, do your needlepoint, right? (laughs) I don't know anything about her, obviously. I don't know how to do needlepoint. Have you ever embroidered? No. So, okay. The one thing that I can do, which I was very proud about as a kid, <laughs> is I can thread needles really well because, mm-hmm. we, this is stupid, but we had this class and we had to learn how, like as part of the craft thing, we had to learn how to embroider. And we got this tiny little round bar of soap and you put the end of the, the cotton onto the soap and then like rub it a little bit so that it it's almost like wax, like it hardens it. So it stops the, the cotton, the thread from like spreading out. and so I would do this. This is like the, the funnest part for me because it's the only thing that I could actually do. Like all of my stitching was absolute shit. <laughs> but like this part I could get right. And I was very proud of my soap because I would always like put the thread on the same spot. So I had this perfect little round hole in this round piece of soap. It was like a little donut. And that's all I remember about embroidering. But I remember just feeling very cool because I had <laughs> this cool looking part of soap. I love that. I love it. I looked I, it up, by the way. And that's... It was after the death of Queen Victoria in 1901. Oh. An act was passed by the Parliament of Canada establishing a legal holiday on May 24th in each year or May 25th if May 24th fell on a Sunday. But it's always a Monday and today is the 22nd. So whatever. Hmm. That is kind of weird. <laughs> <laughs> well, in a uh, celebration of Queen Victoria, are we talking about synopsises? Yes. Yes. Is synopsis or <laughs> synopsis? Synopsis. Synopsis. I feel like it should be synopsis. 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 Yeah, because it's es yeah. when there's synopsis. more than one, right? Synopsis. Wow, we are such good writers. This we are. Well, we, we learn to read with our eyes. <laughs> we yes, read, we yeah. read synopsises. Synopsises. <laughs> Multiple synop synopsi. Synopsis. <laughs> Not synopsis. <laughs> I don't know. It's kind of fun. Well, anyway, I hope everyone knows what we mean. The yeah, summary think, of your book. I think it's. About. I think it's very fitting that it doesn't have a solid name because it's such a dreaded thing that we're all just like synopsis something. Yes, and this was a special request episode. It was. Yes. Shout out to Macal. Hi, Macal. Okay, so this. I mean, every time I have to look at any kind of synopsis. It's like my heart just starts squeezing <laughs> in a very strange way. Go to a doctor. I'm not feeling very happy. <laughs> uh, I mean, no, I, I know exactly what's wrong with me. <laughs> I just don't want to write the synopsis. So I have a little method, but I want to hear about your methods first. So I know you guys have written all kinds of different books. And Nadine, like you've written the very first book that you did was 
multi-POV, multiple timelines, very complicated story, which is hard to write a synopsis for. So I'm very interested to hear how you tackle that because I've read your synopsis and it's great. Yeah. So it took a, you won't get it right on the first try. <laughs> it's just, just like anything. I found it really hard to write the query letter as well as the synopsis for that book. The advice I had gotten, I took some query classes with agents in the industry and they said what they had seen done was paragraph for character A and timeline and then paragraph for the second timeline and then a third paragraph on how they connect. And that was all like good and well advice. I did that for both my query and my synopsis the first time and I sent it out and I got no requests. I should also mention that I had lots of people look at it. I couldn't do it on my own because I, which I found helpful, not like asking all these people you don't know to read it, people that you trust, like with our writing group. So I think it was like about 10 people who read through it and said like, this is where you can cut because they also want it to be one page. I know some people, some agents are okay with one to two pages, but yeah. So I felt like I was summarizing two books and I had sent my query letter to um, Brittany Arena. She's Reverian Inc. on Instagram. And she had offered to read it for me. And she said, well, I see what you're doing here, but what do you think of doing it from your main, main character? And I thought about it. And at first I was like, no, I feel like this is what makes my book special. I was feeling like I was losing something by cutting out one of the POVs. And I let that marinate for a while. And I just wasn't getting the kind of feedback I was hoping for or like requests or anything. So I decided to like after a round of queries, I decided to give it a try and rewrite it from one POV and just like cut out the other one just to deepen the query and the story. Um, But my synopsis, I still had the two POVs because I thought, well, an agent will be able to see um, this timeline with this story and this timeline with this story. And then it hopefully will um and then like how they overlap and that was a bit of it was a lot of gymnastics of writing and deciding which timeline to put first because chronologically we're in the present and then there's a past timeline and it was also recommended from those agents that I had taken courses with start with the main POV doesn't matter if they're chronologically before or after and then I I submitted to RevPit with that new query, same old synopsis. And then I was shortlisted for both editors that I applied to. I found that out after they emailed me. And I was also selected as one of the 10 queries, saying that like my query letter had some good things about it and just helping querying authors to learn from. And I actually met with one of the editors. Her name was Jenny Chappelle. She's on Twitter and Instagram, and she's very helpful, very professional. She did a 30-minute session with me. And she was the one that said, you know what, your query is strong. Your logline is strong. I think that you should try writing your synopsis from the one POV as well. So because I had never thought to change the synopsis because I thought it was summarizing the whole book. And she said, well, it kind of frames the story differently when you're trying to summarize both of them at the same time. And it's a like if as long as you put it in your metadata in your query letter that it's a dual timeline, dual POV, then 
that'll be fine. Your the agent will understand. But you want your strongest story to sell and hook your agent because all your the only job that this is supposed to do is to get your agent to request pages and then your writing will shine. So that's why I have just redone my synopsis from the one point of view, sent it to some people that had not read any of my work just to see if they could summarize what had happened. And then I'd see if they had questions or if I needed to clarify anything more. And I haven't sent this round out yet because I'm just working on my first pages again, just trying something new, but I can report back once I do send them out and see if anyone says anything about that. Do report back. I I was going to ask if you had done like specific research on other books, you know, in terms of like your comps and stuff that maybe aligned with the type of story structure. And if there was anything that you looked at that was helpful for when you were trying to frame these pieces. Yeah. So my comps are not dual timeline. My comps are writing style. I couldn't find a dual timeline adult fantasy comp. I did find one that was YA and I looked at, they didn't, because it was an agent and author, they didn't write a query letter or, but I looked at like the book jacket, right? So that told me this person and a hundred years later, blah, blah, blah. So that helped for some other perspective. Another one was I read Shelby Mahern's query letter because she, hers isn't dual timeline for Serpent and Dove, but it is dual POV. And she includes both POVs in her query letter. That was the example that she's put up on her website. And so that was helpful when I was doing, trying to put both in at the same time. And those are both helpful for anyone writing a synopsis if you have dual POV and you want to keep both of them in. Yeah, it was, it was really hard. I felt like there wasn't as much there was, or the, the feedback was start with one, then the other, then try to connect them. And it's kind of hard when you don't want to necessarily spoil. If you feel like the connection is the spoilery piece, which for me, it kind of is. So I had to do it in a way that revealed enough to build interest but not in the way that it ruined the story as well. And then there are some people that have the opinion that in a query letter, it's best to just spoil everything. And it's just, you kind of have to go with your gut and what feels right. Yeah, but I also have talked to people who, so I I didn't write a synopsis before I wrote my book for that book. That one was, I learned how to write a book. I wrote the book and then I wrote the synopsis after. Whereas the book I'm writing now, I wrote a little bit And then I wrote a synopsis to see where I was going to go. And it was a lot easier to write that when I only had a little bit to summarize with like an idea of where I wanted to go versus trying to summarize 90,000 words in Mm. one page. I really like that because I think with the synopsis, you have to make sure that you get all the beats into the story because you have to trim it down and really get it to that one page if you're going for the one page synopsis. And I think that when you do that, you have to strip it down to those beacons that we talk about all the time. And so if you're plotting and it, it's kind of like a plotting tool, right? Uh, before you write to have that whole plan down. What I've done is to approach it with looking at book jackets. I'll get to that in a minute, but Nadine, I really liked 
when you talked about how you tackled your synopsis, because I felt like you did a really good job of kind of zooming out, a little, like stepping back and thinking about the, the mechanics of how to put the synopsis together. So here we're talking about beats, but you also thought about how do I present my story in a way that is going to capture the attention and not only just give them a bunch of all the information that they need to know. So like putting the dual POV in the metadata, for example, and just making sure that that is clear and then deciding how you present the information afterwards. I, th I think that's really powerful because it's not obvious to a lot of people. It just definitely wasn't obvious to me. And I think if I was writing like dual timeline, dual POV, I would also think, oh, I need to put all of the information in so that they have it, right? Um, and then I, I wanted to add that for um, your comment about the main, main character, um, that's something that I had to learn for myself. I didn't realize that if you have two characters, yes, they might have equal page space, but there is always a character who is going to be the, the main main. And that I learned from Lee Bardugo, but I had never really thought about it in those terms. And so I just wanted to kind of point that out so that people listening can also kind of absorb it in that way if it's useful to them. And one of the other things that I wanted to mention was in one of the workshops that I did, Susie Townsend's workshop on uh, querying, but I think it applies also to synopsis uh, sci. That, <laughs> that if you are telling both in your query letter and in your synopsis, yes, your synopsis is a kind of blow by blow of everything that happens in the story that's important for people to know for the main plot, but you want to build tension and show that you're telling a story so that as you go into it, you're giving them the intrigue, you're giving them the hook, you're giving them the inciting incident, you're giving them all the things that kind of propel them to keep reading that story. So even if a synopsis is really dry, you still have to deliver it in a way that builds tension. And so I think kind of framing it for me in that way of how do I keep ramping that up so that by the time they reach the end, the person reading it goes, okay, actually, I really have to know how this plays out because they feel that build. I think that's a really powerful way to approach it, at least for me. Yeah, I do think just to tack on to that is like, why do we have to read a thing? You know, because on some level, if you're going to send this out, you know, for part of your query package or whatever, in a sense, you're getting that agent to like, we'll say buy your book, right? In, in a way, that's kind of like what it is. And like, what makes anyone buy a book? It's usually... Like I have to know, and it usually has to do with feelings that has to do with like feelings and stakes and feelings tie into stakes. So in your query and in your synopsis, how are you ramping these things up each step along the way? Mm. And that like mentioning the, the stakes, I think that's really, really important for making sure that you get those clear because otherwise nobody's going to be kind of invested in what the whole point of the story is. But one thing that helped me a lot, and I use this for query letters, but I think if you use it for query, then I, I usually I write my query and then I take that as basing it off of a, like a book jacket type blurb. And then I extend it into the synopsis and flesh it out for myself before I go in, because those are going to be my, my main beats of my story. But what I found really helpful is thinking about the top agents that I want to query. And then I go into their lists of authors and then I look at the books that those authors have published and books that are similar to what I am writing in terms of genre, in terms of if you have dual POV, if you have like any kind of similar world building. And then I, I make that list. I take that list and I go through every single book jacket blurb for that. And I write those down. So I have like a list here. I basically, so I'm holding it up for everybody that can't see, but I split my page down the middle. I write the, the, the blurb down and then I highlight for myself all of the 
things that are here. I make notes in, in the next column where I write where I start to see information like where we have some intrigue, a sense of place, setting the scene, giving things like the category, emotional wounds, when you start with a quest. And I then I do that for every jacket blurb that I find. Um, showing the conflict, the stakes, the mystery, all of those things, I highlight them. And at the end of each one, especially if, if it's a book I haven't read, I have a little list of things that I think could be made stronger in that query so that I, as a reader, would want to pick that book up and know more about it if I didn't know anything about it before. And then I sit and start like cobbling together my own query and trying to make it fit in in a way that has all of those elements that I think are for me strong because obviously it's not going to be the same but I wanted I want to look at the things that are enticing to me as a reader and try to match it up with my own story then and kind of project the same emotive effect and I think that applies also to synopsis synopsis. yeah and I I like that you talked about book jackets and looking at those because those don't spoil So I just wanted to clarify a little bit, like in a query letter, you might want to keep something secret for the intrigue, but the synopsis, you do want to add in the spoilers because agents want to see where it's going. And I think that that sort of like building the pacing, the tension, the emotions in there, the stakes really gets the agent gets like a, like a little preview of like, how are you going to pull this off? Like, and they, they, they need to read it. Right. So don't spoil in the query unless you want to, but definitely spoil in the synopsis. And I love that also writing the query for me and then moving into the synopsis helps me because it shows me where all of the excitement is in the story. And then that helps me to build the tension in the synopsis. So I have heard people talking about like writing one sentence for each chapter. I find that really hard. I just, I have tried that method before and great if it works for people. That's why I mentioned it here. But personally for me, it doesn't really work. Just because I feel like there's so many ways that you have your your main plot arcs that are happening and then you have your emotional arcs and you have multiple characters. And if you want to be able to show all of that tension, then writing it kind of chronologically per chapter doesn't always deliver, for me at least, that same effect that I would like. So I feel like when I go from the query to the synopsis, I have some of those main things in place, even if I don't have the whole story there. And then when I flesh it out, and then I usually put it away for a while, send it to other people to read. And I love, Nadine, what you said about getting people who know nothing about your story to read it, because I think that's the real test. Because somebody who knows absolutely nothing about, has no background, they can't fill in the gaps for you. And sometimes we just miss things because we're so close to the story. And people who we talk to all the time or who read our stories are invested in them in a way where maybe they miss it too. The clarity, I mean. So I have a question for the both of you then, because you guys have both been in the query trenches for, in my opinion, way longer than you should have, because I know your stuff and it should, like, it's so good. So anyway, just to, just to say that, but it's also just kind of par for the course with this, right? Because publishing right now, it feels like it's even, it's extra slow. Um, And how do you manage, I think, like the challenge of seeing what's working and when you need to tweak something given the slow pace. And um, I, I guess just what's your method, I think, for making an adjustment on queries, right? Because people talk about sending out batch queries, things like that. Can you guys just each kind of give your perspective on what that looks like for you? You want to go first, Nadine? So I've been querying since November or end of October, and it is May now. 
And I've sent out about three, I guess they're batches, but I do like five to 10 because it takes a long time to research agents, see what they represent, um, whether I think that my work would be of interest to them and then personalize those queries, right? Because I only want to send to people that I want to work with. And then you can have a wait time of like two days or like six weeks, or I have some that I haven't had any response from since October. So it just really varies. It has also helped drafting a different book while I wait. So I sent out a bunch, then I, and it was the end of the year. So I didn't think that anything would happen before Christmas, right? Just with the way things work. And then I also forgot about American Thanksgiving because our Thanksgiving is like October. So when January came and I just had rejections or no responses, then I thought, okay, I should try something again, send out some more. So I'd spend a week again, reworking the query, didn't rework the synopsis. I thought it was just the query and send those out. So I spend a week with that book again. And then after that week, I'm like, okay, now I'm going to draft some more. So then I'll draft some more. And then uh, RevPit came up and I'm like, I'm just going to throw this in, see what happens. And I sent in my, because I had a whole submission package ready just because I have been querying and I sent it in. And that was really helpful to get that feedback from Jenny. And I've just been working on fixing my, well, not fixing, just changing my submission package. Cause really it's like you're marketing your book and trying to find the right people, the right fit for it. I've also signed up for query tracker, like premium. So you can see which agents have a faster response time. So once I've finished working on my pages this week, I'll be sending out another batch. Like I have a spreadsheet of who I've sent to, what date I sent, and when they reply. And then I sort of keep an eye on it every now and then, but I try to focus like one week on just the the book I'm querying, getting that done. And then after that, I'm like, I'm drafting now. I am not in that query space just because it's hard to be thinking about that all the time. And having a different project definitely makes the waiting easier. I know other people are probably a bit more structured and like counting the days since they sent their last query and maybe they need to send some more but I've just sort of been like waiting it out and seeing how many responses I have and then okay I should send some more I should send some more maybe I should tweak this and that but yeah I am working on another project in case this one doesn't grab the agent that I need that doesn't mean that it won't ever get published it might just not be the first one that I publish if that makes sense yes and I know it will be published one day so it will be that's a fantastic book i like your mug thank you and thank you for your kind words so well i also need to go first because this question is a bit hard for me i feel like so i'm not querying at the moment and i feel like the last time that i queried it was four months of querying and i learned a lot about myself in that process which is something i I guess if I'd stopped to think about it, really, I would have realized that this would be a process for me to learn about myself too, not only about the industry and everything that goes with the whole being in the trenches. But I took that as an opportunity to think really, really hard about how I go into the next season of being in the trenches. And I think that journey is going to be different for every person. You're going to learn stuff about yourself if you 
I mean, always if you want to, right? So I do think you have to kind of be open to it as stuff comes to you because I do. it's a very frustrating process. It's a lot of long waiting. So I also, I do have a spreadsheet and I track everything. And I think what's hard for me as a writer going into it is that we have just a little bit of information either on like manuscript wish list or agents' websites, and that's not always up to date. So sometimes you think you're tailoring your whole package to something that you've read and it might not always be very current. I have found that if you do follow agents on Twitter, that's usually going to be more up-to-date information than the stuff that's listed on websites. And so that is a little bit more helpful. And I find that I'm a lot less frustrated with, which is very surprising to me because I'm very impatient, with the idea of having to wait for things now because I understand so much more what I need and it wasn't what I expected. So I think what I'm trying to say with all of this is just that it is super hard to be in the trenches. It is really difficult to keep waiting and then to think you've got to figure it out and then realize maybe you don't, or maybe to get to a place where things work out in a, in a way that you just don't expect. But all of that is still going to be useful for you as a writer in every, like to take this information in every stage of your journey. And I think that to me is, is, has been the biggest takeaway of this whole process. Me being able to ignore that factor of that sort of instability and guesswork helps me a little bit because I just have to think to myself, what is it that I'm in this for? How am I going to structure my stories to the best of my ability so that when I present it, it's really the best that I can do. And if I'm really not getting any requests, I'm not getting any feedback, I'm not getting any interest, then I do think that is a time where you have to stop and you have to think about, okay, maybe I'm, I think I'm framing the story a certain way, but actually it's not coming across that way. And that's, I really love Nadine, you're looking into lists of people who are fast at responding because that will give you a quick indicator. And again, like just choosing people that you think will line up well with you. I don't know if any of that's helpful, but that's what's been helpful for my mindset, which I actually think is the hardest thing in querying is just like being able to be inside your head in that time. And yes, like writing other things is important, moving on with your projects and and building like a little bit of a backlist, a personal backlist for yourself and having that in your arsenal so that when you do get to the point where you're ready to sign with somebody, that you are in a good position. And when they ask you what other books do you have and you have a whole bunch that you can show them and work on. So I don't know if that answered your question, but there you go. Yeah, and I think it's important. I like that you say like building your own little backlist. It's just also it's like a preview of... The waiting never stops, you know, like, sure, you you query and eventually you get your agent if you don't give up, but then you go on submission and sometimes people sell their books really quickly and sometimes people have to wait a long time, just like with querying. People talk about the goalposts shifting all the time and it's not just for achievements, right? So it's learning to acknowledge the feelings, like, I don't want to say don't feel upset or don't feel discouraged because there is value in that too. And we're human. We would all love to like have someone pick up our book right away and love it and, and say, I know just the editor for this. And then like 
salary broke tomorrow, but it, that doesn't really happen, right? So, or if it does, it, it's not common, I should say. And getting to getting to a place where you can say, I am going to write in spite of all of that. And I'm going to keep writing my books and I have more than one book in me. And I am also more than my books. I mean, we're we're more than just one book. We're also more than just this part of the process. At least that's what I think you were getting at, you know? And I think that, you know, there's so many different ways to move through story. And part of that too is just like, there's part of it that like, it's the suck, right? You know, and I, and I think that there's, there's no way to take away from that because like rejection hurts and it stings. And um, sometimes it honestly, it makes no sense. And sometimes it has nothing even to do with your story. It has to do with other things that are going on or like even someone had a stomach ache and they didn't read it correctly. You know, we don't know, to be honest. And I think that's what's so hard and challenging about this process. And then you really don't get a huge amount of feedback because it's, you might get a form rejection six months later. There was an agent I was watching an interview because I wanted to query them and they said they don't do personalized rejections anymore. They used to do them because they wanted to be helpful and just say that why it didn't work for them. But they said like, I never want to be the reason why a writer stops writing. And I like, I don't want to send this personalized rejection and they take it, they take it the wrong way or they like decide to stop or they don't keep going with this specific book just because I wasn't the right person for it. So I just send form rejections because I don't want to be the reason why someone stops. And I thought that was really interesting because sometimes we can forget that agents are real people as well. And they are, they have, they're working too, right? They're doing their best. And it's not just like some imaginary they have deadlines they have other books that they're selling you hope that they're selling all their other books too if you want to work with them but when I first started writing I felt like it was almost a rush to finish and it's like well no it's not the it's a like hurry up and wait so why are you rushing I want to be a writer long term I want to write stories for many years to come so I don't need to be rushing 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 to these deadlines I need to put in practice as just a sustainable writing rhythm so that I am consistently writing stories and not just rush, rush, rush to deadlines. And I know they will come, but when they come, I'll have this writing muscle that can handle it. So instead of just trying to sprint the whole race, as much as like, I hate the running analogy, whatever, but you know, it isn't, it isn't a sprint. It is like a marathon that we have to do. And once that mindset shift for me was very helpful. I love that because I feel like I'm a little bit the opposite. And <laughs> it just shows that I, w- I was like thinking everybody this is, kind of. <laughs> I was <laughs> thinking this talking. is no, I, I was just like when Nadine was talking, I was like, this is so funny because I know we're going to get the opposite viewpoint in a second. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Just to say, I agree with absolutely everything that you've said there. There is no race. You have to be in it for the long haul if, if you want to make this a career. At the same time, what I mean by saying I'm the opposite is that I work really, really well under pressure. And I've learned this about myself. So I set myself ridiculous deadlines because then I know that I will just crank something out and then I'll have it. And I can 
edit it for as long as I want, but I want that draft out as quickly as possible. It's just so fantastic to me how people are all so different and approach. We all we have the same philosophy, but we have a different approach. I love that that we have this here in this like a little bubble that we're in and we get to share it with everybody because I think everyone listening is going to have their and they will have very many different variations of how they approach and how comfortable they feel with their own stories. So I just love that we get to talk about that kind of diverse approach in in our own storytelling worlds. I want to say that I feel like I bridge the middle gap here. <laughs> Because I feel like sometimes I set myself ridiculous deadlines as well. And then sometimes I'm just like, I'm content to just be in this like marinating area. Not that, and I know you do that too, Gabby, but I do also know that you're like, I'm going to write a book in two days. So, (laughs) (laughs) but anyway, I just, there's all sorts, right? There's one, but whatever. (laughs) It's like one second. I was done. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So. Well, okay. That's also, but I think that you're touching on something really interesting here because I think also different books call for different yes, things. That's true. And sometimes you can just crank out something really fast and other times they need time to sit. I've had a book that I've been wanting to write for a long time and I just have a feeling in my bones that it's not ready for me to touch it yet getting close Mm. but like it just needs to stew a little bit longer like it's marinating and that's fine for me I'm fine with that so it's just fun to me because I have so many different ideas for different stories and they all need something that is maybe something else I'm gonna have to learn as I do the next thing and I think Mm -hmm. you guys are the same you have so many cool ideas I think there was something interesting we were talking about the other day Courtney where you said that you like to write a lot And so having a shorter deadline helped you to write tighter stories, less word count. So I'm wondering if you feel the same, Gabby, or or not. Yeah, it's actually, we have talked about this on the podcast before when we talked about like fast drafting. And Mm -hmm. for me, because I'm, I, if I let myself do something for as long as I want, I will overwrite. So for me, the fast drafting process has saved me because I, tell myself that if I'm going to write this ridiculous ridiculous amount of words in the deadline that I've set myself, then I don't have time to sit and wallow in a description or a, a world building element or something that needs to drive a motivation. I just have to get all of the things in that I know that I need to be in the story that I've decided because I, I do plot the main beats before I start writing. And anything that I don't know, I just make myself a note and I move on. Any thought that I have about how to make it better, it goes into a note and it goes into a note in that document. So in a comment on the side, like in my head, I picture it as being filed in that specific place and it makes a little map. And then if I can picture it like that, I feel safe and I just move on to the next thing. I do have a notebook that I'll write things down in. I tab them in. We should do an episode about like methods because I think this is really fun. But I have, it's buried under a bunch of books there. But okay, so I get just a blank notebook and I really like the dot ones. And I have different sections for, okay, I will dig it out. I have different sections for different aspects of the story that I'm telling. Each section gets a different color tab so that when I move to another page, um, then I'm not messing up my system. It's not all going to be in the same place in the book, but I can just go to the same color tabs for it. And then I know that this one, for example, is... Okay, those are like specific edits for chapters. And then these are a list of all the names in my story because I always have to have things that I forget, (laughs) like what I've 
decided to name things in other languages that I've created and then I go away from it for a little bit and come back and I don't know so just ways of referencing my story but then the actual notes go inside the document and I just give myself time to play in revision which is really frustrating to me because that's when I have to untangle things and figure out motivations and move stuff around and lose things that yeah it's hard for you because it takes longer exactly that's and I I know this about myself I know I know you know and you know this about me (laughs) Um, makes it it difficult but also makes it because I know it and I know that that's coming I just have to I have different ways that I approach that for myself which we can talk about in another episode but we've gone off track because we were talking about synopses (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, So maybe we should um, just circle back to Synopsi and (laughs) then we can jump into snacks. So one thing that I learned later on is that when you are pitching books with your editor, published authors have told me that when you're pitching a new idea, you do need a synopsis of the book, even if you haven't written it. And then sometimes you'll draft a couple chapters or maybe you'll give an outline with that synopsis. So it is a good skill to have. And it, it's funny that Mikkel asked this question because she was the first person I met that wrote a synopsis before she wrote a book that isn't like published, right? And then as I learned more about synopses, that's when I realized this. So even if they are the bane of our existence, it is a good skill to work on. And for my brain, it was easier to do it while I'm drafting and not Mm -hmm. after I'd written the whole draft. I do think that's interesting because I feel like there's a huge difference between what is expected of you when you're querying and what is expected of you when you're already signed with an agent. Because with a synopsis when you're querying, you have to be ready to hook somebody and keep their attention long enough and entice them enough that they request more from you. When you already have an agent, they're asking you for that synopsis so they can look through that you've checked all the boxes and you're hitting all the right beats and the story is interesting enough, right? And then you will have a call usually or discussion about, this is just from what I've heard talking to friends who are published, you will have a call or a discussion about if there's anything really that probably you need to address or change or think about more. And then you go and you write your couple of chapters and that process obviously differs for depending on, on your agent and how you work with them. But the expectation is very much different to an author who's query, a writer who's querying compared to an author who's already established their relationship with their agent. And there's a, a different level of, of expectation that exists, I think. So I do, I do think it's a good idea to like nail how to write a synopsis, but also I, I would just want to say like, don't be terribly frightened that this is a thing you have to do and, and hit in the same way when you're querying, because I feel like it's not the same expectation. You don't have to be. Um, yeah. It, it yeah. sounds more fluid, like a working document. Yeah. yeah. With, and, and more of a, rela- yeah. like it's more like an interactive kind of thing. Yeah. Whereas when you're querying, it's like you're a good copy. You know, not not the pencil. It's the one with the Sharpie. <laughs> Sharpies terrify me. So I, when I was, um, I was doing my undergrad, I'm telling you. <laughs> okay. Attention. <laughs> oh my gosh, Nadine is so scared. <laughs> Sorry, this Nadine. Is, you signed up for this when you agreed to be our summer beast. Okay. Oh, Gabby, I love it. I'm here for it. Carry on. Tell me about your fear of Sharpies. Okay, it's not terrible. Yeah, it's just I, I I studied engineering for my undergrad and we got taught on the very first day that you never use ink for anything. Always write a pencil. 
And this was drilled into me so intensely that I write everything in pencil now. And then I do, like, I did actually start writing with a pen in my planner, which was just really strange for me to do. And I had to get a pen that, like, flowed in a way that was very aesthetically pleasing for me because (laughs) I just, it just goes against my instinct now to write in anything other than pens. And I do write in my books. Like, I, I make notes in the margins and stuff. I'm one of those people who... I will tab, but I will where those tabs are is where I will write notes in the story. And and I was taught a very specific way to make notes in books and in any kind of thing that you're in, like in textbooks usually, so that you know what level of importance that holds for you. And I still use that today. And so I think in my mind, there's just this association with ink. And so when people say like they sharpie a thing, I'm just like, that's so permanent. You know, I would love it if um, maybe on our Instagram, you could kind of go through some of your tabbing processes, like so people could see this visually, because I'm curious about it. Um, yeah, I'd be happy yeah, to see that. Yeah. I actually don't usually like writing in pencil, like if I know it's going to smear, because I'm left-handed. So I don't, I don't know if that's fun, but I, I remember when I was growing up, my dad would help me do my math homework. I'm terrible at math. And I just remember he would always want me to use pencil because you can erase, right? And I just remember like crying about my math homework all the time. So anyway, that's a, uh, that's synopsis for you. Nadine, do you have anything you need to share about Sharpies, pencils, anything? Well, don't eat them. There we maybe go. You can t- maybe you can tell me about your <laughs> snacks this week. <laughs> yes. Way to keep us on track, Nadine. I love it. Um, I've had such poor luck cooking lately. I don't understand what's going on, but there's there's something happening. And I like I view myself as actually a pretty decent cook. And I feel like I've just got like the cheese touch or something. I don't know. It's just not going well. So, but I I did have a pizza today that came from a box and it was delicious because I could not fuck that up. <laughs> you could. Next. If, okay. If you cooked that in the oven. That's right? true. Like, or okay. whatever. There was less opportunities for the fuck up. Okay. Gold star. <laughs> fair <laughs> thank you teacher nadine <laughs> i also want a gold star well tell me what you ate and then i'll give you one <laughs> <laughs> no only i get the gold star gabby no okay well um i've still not able to eat very much but i did discover that what i could uh stomach is um I, well i saw this on a reel i think or maybe tiktok or something and it looked much nicer on there because they could use a lot more ingredients than I can currently invest. But um, it's, I take a, a sheet of seaweed and then like uh, roasted seaweed. And then if it's a square, I cut it like um, down the middle, but not all the way, just to the halfway point. And then I put sushi rice on like two parts of the square. I'm going to have to take a picture of this because it sounds like it makes no sense. Like on the two diagonals of the square. And then usually you would put like some nice things. You'd put like spring onions and carrots and uh, ginger. And I don't know if you eat meat, then like chicken or fish or whatever. And then you put some soy sauce and you kind of flip it until it makes a square. And then it's like a little seaweed sandwich. 
I've um, seen those. They look but, good. Uh, yeah. Um, mine are not that interesting. Mine are literally like the seaweed, the sushi rice and ginger because that's what I can eat right now. But that that is my snack. Can I get a star? Yeah. You get a star for sure. Good. I, I, I think you deserve one too. I will say that my squares are very neat. And so, you know, you know even I if the snack is not terribly you. interesting. <laughs> Wait, I, I'm curious. Do you think my squares would be neat? No. I think that your squares would be like my squares, Courtney. What would your squares be like? Rustic. Uh, You know what? Rustic. rustic. Yeah, but you're right, though. Mine would not be neat. I was just curious if (laughs) if you knew. You know what, Courtney? I'm kind of wondering. Like, I cannot wrap presents. Like, I am terrible at wrapping because because I cannot like cut on the lines like the wrapping paper or like the folding it and the tape like mine look like my kids did it. I'm actually good at wrapping presents. Um, Mm. I don't I I have I don't know but I think it's like the way like the time I have for it. It's like I'm like I'm going to do that but everything else I just slap shit around I guess. Sounds like paper mache or something. <laughs> so uh, Nadine, what about your snacks? So it was our anniversary yesterday. So we Ooh. went out for brunch. That's why we didn't uh, record yesterday. <laughs> yeah. And it was like this all day brunch at this little restaurant close to our house. And it was smashed potatoes. So it was like roasted and then they just like smash it. And not like mashed potatoes. Smashed potatoes different, apparently. And they had these roasted mushrooms and goat cheese and pea shoots on top. And then there was a, what's it called? It was an egg. The one that you drop in the boiling water. What's that called? Poached egg. It was a poached egg. There you go. On top. And that was delicious with some sourdough toast. And then they made me a robust tea um, misto, which is like a latte, but with the tea bag. It was delicious. Mm-hmm. Nice. I really think that you had a great snack situation over the weekend. It was a delicious snack. snack. I, I think you did win snack. <laughs> yeah. Well I didn't know it was a competition. It's like, it's a snack a comp- oh my gosh, Nadine. <laughs> with Gabby here, it's definitely a competition. <laughs> it's okay. okay. Well, anyway, since that was your snack, I will gift you a star. Maybe. Oh, give boy, thank stars, you. So I, um, I think everyone got stars. I think that's really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's how we be. Okay, so before we conclude, can we briefly say that I've read Fourth Wing, Nadine's <laughs> read Fourth Wing, and Gabby is reading Fourth Wing. <laughs> I was, I was uh, strong armed. I'm nearly done. Actually, I think I'll finish today. Okay. I've read it in like three days. So okay. Um, so so are we are we doing a bonus episode? We should do a bonus episode. Yeah, we'll do a bonus episode. Okay, everyone, we are doing a bonus episode on Fourth Wing. I feel like we need to figure out how spoilery it is, but coming we'll, soon. We'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll figure it out. Uh, TBD on that, but um, but expect a bonus episode about Fourth Wing, which is like badass female main character dragons hot dude enemies to lovers you fly or you die (laughs) (laughs) i think that's on the cover fly or die it it is (laughs) yeah (laughs) anyway i am like i i think i 
am gonna go and reread it I just I don't even know what to do I mean I'll, I'll save a lot of my comments for our bonus episode but holy crap so actually if you're listening to this this is your heads up go and read it it's coming yes if you can find a copy because apparently it's getting hard out there <laughs> oh my gosh during the episode we'll talk about i think uh red tower books and all the beautiful covers they have coming for the yes. world anyway be brave stay beastly <laughs> <laughs> you guys are hilarious don't eat your sharpies <laughs> <laughs> see you guys next week bye